Welcome to the shit show. Hello, my squirrel friends. So first of all, I want to apologize again for not posting on time. I just, this, yeah, we're not even going to discuss how this hot mess express is just not doing her best life right now. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. And I couldn't even begin to tell you where, where my issue is. Um, okay, so I... I think I'm going to change the days again to Tuesdays and Fridays. For some reason, I seem to have better Tuesdays and Fridays. So that's what we're going to go with. Um, so today on the Hot Mess Witchy Express, we are going to talk about the Norfolk Four. Um, now, this is a case that happened in Virginia. Uh, Norfolk is a naval town. Um, so it's very military oriented. Um, there's actually like a naval museum and... They do this, like, uh, thing every year. Uh, usually in the summer, it's like this pirate ship-themed thing. It's actually really cool. Um, I didn't go this year, which really makes me sad. But I digress. So, the Norfolk Four case is actually one of the strangest in Virginia history. Um, mainly because four young sailors with no criminal records falsely confessed to the rape and murder of the 18-year-old wife of another sailor. Um, which is all kinds of crazy. And that's not even the craziest part. There was actually the guy that did it. He went for like three years without having any like, um, repercussions. Okay. <laughs> So, I'm going to just start with that. Um, okay. So, on July 8th, 1997, Michelle Moore Bosco was 18, and she was found dead in her apartment by her husband, Bill Bosco, who was a 19-year-old sailor in the U.S. Navy um, after a week at sea in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, he found Michelle... Um, and she had been raped, stabbed, and strangled to death. Um, at the time, police also said there was, like, no sign of a break-in or, like, you know, a big struggle in the apartment. Um, they think that the crime took place the night before, sometime around 1130, uh, you know, July 7th. Um, now, there was a neighbor, Tamika Taylor, and she said that she had been out with Michelle for most of the day the day before, um, from noon until about 11. Um, so now the coroner's report said that Michelle had died due to being stabbed and strangled. Um, as introduced in evidence at the trials, the state medical examiner described the wounds to Michelle to be uniform in depth and clustered closely. So this kind of means that this pattern suggests that there was only one assailant that stabbed her multiple times. Um, but he also did know that there was a possibility of more. I don't necessarily agree with that. Just because if it's basically in a cluster like that, to me, it sounds like more like a rage killing, right? Because it's like fast. Um, you know, when you deliberately are stabbing someone, you're going to stab in the same place, right? Anyway. Um, so, as the Norfolk Police investigation progressed, detectives questioned residents of Michelle's development. Tamika Taylor, remember she's a neighbor, told one of them 
um, that their neighbor, Daniel Williams, was quote-unquote obsessed with Michelle. Now, Williams was also a sailor in the U.S. Navy and lived in the apartment across the hall from the Boscos with his wife, Nicole. Now, um, Detective Ford, who was the lead on the case, arrested Williams and and led the interrogations. Now, according to Williams, he was interrogated for like eight hours before Ford started at five. So... Williams was already, like, interrogated for eight hours. And then Detective Ford came in at, like, 5 a.m. <laughs> so you're tired, right? You're tired at that point. Um, and Detective Ford claims that he got an upset, a, a confession from Williams after another hour of interrogation. All right. Now, Williams tells the court that he felt threatened and that he was treated like a criminal until he was overwhelmed and worn down. Um, Williams' defense lawyer said it appeared that Ford and other investigators were satisfied with Williams' confession, and after they indicted him in August of 1997, not much happened, um, with the investigation for, like, several months. Um, the attorneys found no record or evidence that the police ever searched Williams' apartment, despite his status as a quote-unquote prime suspect. Um, and they never tried to recover any evidence such as blood from the crime scene, um, his own blood, or DNA from the victim on his clothing or items in his apartment. It wasn't until December 11th, 1997. Now remember, the murder happened in July, they indicted him in August, and it wasn't until December 11th, 1997 that police learned that Williams' DNA did not match the DNA evidence evidence taken from the scene. Now, this is where it gets crazy. The police did not share this with his attorney until April 30th, 1998. So they waited four whole months to tell him, hey, by the way, your client's DNA doesn't match the DNA found at the scene. Like, what? Anyway, so we're going to go back a little bit. So in January 1998... They offered Williams a plea bargain in exchange for a life sentence, which he obviously refused. Um, So the police felt that they needed to expand their field, right? So they arrested Williams' roommate and shipmate Joe Joseph Dick as a suspect. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm such a child. Uh, Murder's not funny. Alright, so... Dick maintained his innocence for hours, saying that he was on duty on the ship USS Saipan Saipan, at the time of the murder. Now, according to a 2007 New York Times feature article, neither his supervising chief petty officer, senior chief Michael Ziegler, nor his supervisor, Commander Scott Reddy, were interviewed by Norfolk police or Dick's defense counsel, Mike... Fasanaro Jr. That's suspicious. That's weird. Eleven weeks later, in March 1998, Dick's DNA was also excluded as a match to the forensic DNA evidence found on Michelle. Now, just to recap, the two suspects that they have not only indicted and arrested for this, but are starting to like charge and take the trial 
don't match the DNA they found on the person. Okay. Um, so the police and prosecution decided to widen their search again for suspects. Uh, a jailhouse informant at the jail where Dick was being held pending trial excuse me, uh, suggested that he had a, he had named a co-conspirator. He named Eric Wilson, another sailor. And guess what? Wilson's DNA was also excluded from the matching evidence at the scene. So now we have not one, not two, but three guys all excluded from the same evidence. Like, I, I can't, I can't make this up. <sighs> all right. So the police came back to Dick for more suspects, obviously, because now they're like third time's a charm, I guess. Um, so he said that a fourth man whom he called George, but identified from a Navy photograph as T Derek Tice was also involved. Three of these four men were on active duty with the Navy and one was recently retired. None of them had any criminal record. Uh, Detective Ford went to Florida where Tice was living to arrest him. <laughs> After being arrested and interrogated for 11 hours, 11 hours, Tice f also finally confessed to the crime. In the process, he also implicated two additional Navy men as of having been involved in the crime. He claimed that a group of several men had broken into the apartment and each attacked Michelle. The two men that he identified were John Pauley, was a U.S. Navy retired, and Jeffrey Ferris, uh, also part of the Navy, were arrested for rape and capital murder but did not confess. Ferris asked for counsel and stopped his in interrogation. Polly was verified as being hundreds of miles away where he lived and worked at the time of the murder, as shown by work records and bank records of having withdrawn drawn money from a cash machine at a distant location. Um, late 1998, August, hearing about Polly and Ferris, Dick testified that these two were involved in the attack on Michelle. But he said he had not seen Ferris stab her. Their attorneys challenged the theory of multiple offenders, but the judge decided there was probable cause and indicted them. Isn't this crazy? So now we have six men. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So after being interrogated again in October 1998, Tice named john e danzer another u.s navy man as a seventh suspect he did not confess he had retired from the navy and lived and worked in Warminster, pennsylvania which is roughly 300 miles from norfolk despite his having two paper records supporting where he was at the time of the murder you got it he was indicted and ra uh, indicted for rape and capital murder wow <laughs> so, in November, Tice recanted his accusation against Danzer and his own confession when talking to Detective Ford, but the Commonwealth Attorney's Office did not give him, did not give this information to Danzer's attorney. 
A month later, Tice repeated his accusation against Dancer at the preliminary hearing. So, yeah. Alright, this is where I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to finish talking about this crazy case. Welcome back, squirrel friends. Okay, so now we're up to February 1999 of the Norfolk 4 case. So a refined DNA test excluded, are you ready? All seven men from the forensic DNA associated with the crime. So that means all seven men that they indicted and are planning to take to trial, none of them match the DNA forensics found at the murder. Wow. <laughs> now, none of the last three men who were indicted were tried, and the state charges against them were eventually dismissed. But Detective Glenn Ford and Prosecutor Damian J. Hansen continued to act at the trials of Wilson and Tice in 1999 and 2000 as if the other men were still part of a large multiple offender attack. Really? <sighs> so, threatened by prosecution with potential sentences of the death penalty, Williams and Dick each pled guilty to the rape and capital murder and agreed to a stipulation of facts. So, both of them received two consecutive life sentences. Because that makes sense, right? So, then, in September 1999, Wilson was sentenced to eight and a half years. Tice was found guilty of rape and capital murder in February 2000. And then in June of 2000, he was also sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. So let's just recap that for a second. So that means out of the four men that they tried and, you know, found or, you know, plea bargained or whatever, three of them got two consecutive life sentences <laughs> with no evidence. <laughs> Like, I just, ah, that just blows my mind. All right. So now we're going to do a little background on the actual killer. Okay. And his name was Omar Abdul Ballard. And in the summer of 1997, he actually met the Bosco couple. Right. And on June 27th, 1997, he had beaten Melissa Morse with a bat at the Bayshore Apartment Garden Complex, where the Boscos also lived. Wah, wah, wah. That night, his friend, Tamika Taylor, took him to her neighbor, the Boscos, for refuge. William, or Bill Bosco, briefly gave him shelter at their apartment, turning away men who were seeking him. So not only did the Boscos know him, but they actually stood up for him at one point. Ah, So on July 17th, 1997, which is about 10 days after the rape and murder of Michelle Moore Bosco, Ballard beat and raped a 14-year-old girl about a mile from the Bayshore apartment complex. He was later apprehended, and on January 15th, 1998, he pled guilty to this crime. Uh, a month later, he actually, like admitted that he 
beat Melissa Morse with a bat, right? So he was sentenced to a total of 41 years in prison for these two crimes. Wah! <laughs> uh, we're gonna... Tell me why he only got 41 years. Tell me. Because it don't make no sense to me. So then, in February 1999, he sent a letter from prison to a female acquaintance threatening her and claiming to have murdered Michelle Morbosco, right? Now, in 2005, Taylor, you know, the neighbor, claimed that she had told the Norfolk police soon after the Michelle Morbosco murder that they should investigate Ballard as a possible suspect. Now, they listened to Taylor the first time. She was like, yeah, check out that Daniel Williams guy. He's super creepy. But they ignored her when she said, well, you might also want to check out Ballard, too. Ugh. So Ballard was not investigated until February 1999, which means he was not investigated until after they had already started the trial on some of the other guys. Ugh. Police received a copy of the letter he wrote from prison claiming he killed more Bosco, right? He confessed to the police twice. Once in March 1999 and again in April 1999. In papers filed with the court. From his initial interrogation to the present day, Omar Ballard has maintained that he acted alone in his rape and murder of Michelle Bosco. In 1999, March, he was arrested as the eighth suspect in the case. But the difference between him and the other seven suspects is his DNA was matching that was that which was found at the Michelle Moore Bosco crime scene. So he was the only one whose DNA actually matched the DNA they found at the scene. Yeah. Of course, Ballard also confessed, but unlike the other suspects, he actually provided details of the crime in his confession that were consistent with the physical and the forensic evidence. He also told investigators, quote, them four people who open the mouths is stupid. So, by 2005, the Norfolk Four had attracted support from the Innocence Project and teams of pro bono attorneys from three different firms to work on their legal appeals and clemency petitions. Um, Now, for those of you who don't know, the Innocence Project is actually a group of attorneys who try to help uh, convicted felons um, get out of jail, right? So... That year, attorneys for Dick, Tice, and Williams petitioned for clemency on November 10th, 2005 from Virginia Governor Mark Warner as they were each serving life sentences. Now, Warner didn't rule on the petition, but it was considered by his successor, Governor Tim Kaine. Um... Several retired FBI agents also supported the men's claims of innocence, as did 11 jurors who initially publicly convicted Tyson Wilson. 
Isn't that crazy? The jurors who sat in on their trials were like, you know what? Nah, they were innocent. <laughs> These jurors submitted affidavits in support of the sailor's clemency request before the Virginia State Parole Board saying that they believed the men were innocent. Eventually, some 10 former state attorney generals, more than 20 former FBI agents, and 13 original jurors in the two cases publicly supported their innocence. Now, that's 2005, right? So get this shit. And on August 6, 2009, so four years later, Kane granted a conditional pardon to Dick, Tice, and Williams, which gained them from release from their prison, right? But this action did not vacate their convictions. Isn't that nuts? So he's like, yeah, you can leave jail or prison, but... Uh, these three men and Williams were still required to register with local authorities as sex offenders and felons, a requirement which meant they had to frequently return to update their records and had more severe restrictions on work, movement, and where they could live. So they were still getting screwed, right? Because it was like... Uh, what? What? <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense. So then the de detective who questioned them... Get this. Get this. The detective who questioned them, Detective Robert Glenn Ford, was convicted in 2011 of extortion and lying to the FBI in unrelated cases. So this guy screwed up on other cases and was actually convicted for it. And these four guys were still fighting to have their innocence redeemed. So, now, the convictions of Williams and Dick were vacated by a federal court in October 2016 after evidentiary proceedings and the Virginia Attorney General's office ended its opposition. Tice's conviction had already been overturned. In November 2016... The Virginia Attorney General instructed the Norfolk Police to videotape all interrogations and confessions, not confections, confessions in cases relating to homicides. Now, why did, not, did that not happen before? So, it wasn't until 2016 that Norfolk was supposed to videotape all interrogations and confessions relating to homicides. I feel like that it should be that way whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony, but... I digress. So now, in on March 21st, 2017, Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe granted absolute pardons to the Norfolk Four. They cleared their names and removed them from the sex offender and felon registers. Now, let's just pause for a second. So, they were all convicted in 1999 and 2000, right? They all were not pardoned until March 21st, 2017. So, that means these men were guilty and incarcerated and on the sex offender and felony registers for almost 20 years. That is ridiculous. And it 
it, it just goes to show like the corruption at the state level. Like, I'm sorry, but the Commonwealth of Virginia is shady as shit. But there is somewhat of a bright side for these four. So the Norfolk Four filed a civil suit against the city and the state for their wrongful convictions. Uh, which they should have. Um, and they made bank, too. Let me tell you. So in December 2018, so about a year later, both jurisdictions settled. The city of Norfolk agreed to pay $4.9 million to the four former sailors who were wrongly convicted of the rape and murder of Michelle Bosco based on intimidating police interrogations. A copy of the settlement agreement for the Norfolk Four was obtained, uh, obtained by the Associated Press. And the state, so not just, you know, this is a whole other thing, the state agreed to pay $3.5 million. So the city, $4.9, the state, $3.5. Now, personally, and this is just me, this roughly... I, I, I can't math, but this is roughly $8.4 million, right? Split between the four of them. So that is what? 2.1, right? That's not enough. I mean, yeah, they'll live comfortably for the rest of their lives, but to me, that's not enough. I don't think... The state of Virginia or the city of Norfolk could really ever truly make it up to these men for what they did to them. Like, it was just an obscene miscarriage of justice. And I can only imagine some of the other cases that have slipped through the cracks. Uh, now, I can't tell you my thoughts on why I think this one got so much attention. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if it's because it was so egregious with eight different suspects and only one of them having actual DNA evidence. I'm not, I'm not sure. But I will say that this is definitely one of the more interesting true crime cases I've covered so far. Um, this one I found on my own. So if you guys have any other suggestions or cases you'd like me to talk about where it's like this, I would absolutely love to do the research on it. Um, other than that, I guess I will see you guys on Friday. Uh, I really appreciate all the support and love I've gotten so far. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week. And I will see you guys later. Oh, I almost forgot. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? Can I go to Amen? All right now. Love y'all. <laughs>